This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. Good morning, everybody, on this beautiful San Diego day. Once again, I can just never say anything bad about the weather, except it is supposed to be up to 100 degrees today. We're not looking forward to that, I have to tell you. Even though it is dry heat, it's still very, very hot, although we do get a nice breeze sometimes. Well, we've had a amazing week. We've been busy, busy, busy uh, working, uh, producing. So Ahano has been, I should say. I've been out shopping for our trip to Mexico next weekend. Anyway, say hello, Ahano. Uh, good morning, everybody. It is great to be back again. This is like a highlight of our week. And, of course, our tomorrow mornings, our Sunday mornings also, are becoming such a regular and such an anticipated thing that our weekends are actually really, really anticipated by us and our listeners. And that's a fantastic thing. Now, the work we were doing during the week, of course, was we were producing various products from the result of our online group Akashic Record sessions on the Sunday morning. And what I mean by that is that many, many people have asked us for the transcripts of these online records. And that's what we've been doing, basically transcribing them and turning them into ebooks, which are now available on Kindle and also on MP3 downloads. And indeed, we went a step further and they're actually available on CD Baby. So you can actually buy CDs of these recordings that we're doing on Sunday morning. And that's a wonderful thing. And of course, they push it out then to iTunes and Amazon MP3 and various other places. So that's all fantastic. That's what we've been doing. And this is what we continue to do because people do ask for this material. And we're so glad that they do. Now, Angel Rose was talking about the weather, and we had a little bit of a, an episode last week where we were blaming solar flares and sunspots and all sorts of stuff on our difficulties because we couldn't get online to do our radio show very effectively last week. And we were, as usual, in the blame game and the victim-victimizer game, blaming all around us except ourselves. And lo and behold, didn't we discover eventually that it was a connector into our soundboard that had a loose connection. And everything looked fine on the surface. Everything looked like everything was performing, but there was no sound going through. And boy, when we found that, wasn't that such a relief. So we're back in business. We're up and rolling. The lights are flashing. And we have a great guest for you today. And her name is Leslie Mitchell-Clark. And she was actually with us last week, but we were so deep into the discussions on all kinds of things, like, for example, alien abductions, Area 51, Roswell, crop circles, hypnosis, past life regressions, implants. We talked about the Anunnaki and the Pope and all kinds of things. And we just didn't have enough time. And so we invited her to come back with us today. And we are delighted to be able to say that Leslie Mitchell-Clark of LifeworkHypnosis.com is with us today. And it's an absolute pleasure to talk to her. But before we do, we'll just have a few more words from Angel Rose. Yes, last week we were speaking about ETs and ET abductions, 
And we were talking about Leslie and her hypnosis and her past life regressions and her regressions for abductees. And we were so and thrilled with the whole thing. And, of course, it was stimulating all sorts of things in me. And we do invite callers to call in today. If you have questions or think you've had an abduction experience, do call in. The phone number to call in is 805-292-0349. That's 805-292-0349. So I think we should bring Leslie on and get started, Ahanu. Good morning, Leslie. Is that you? It is I, Ann Gail, and a wonderful morning to you and to Ahanu as well. And uh, I oh, trust that you. you're having your usual uh, lovely weather down there <laughs> behind the orange curtain. <laughs> we are, we are. It's supposed to be 100 today, though, Leslie. Oh, my gosh. Well, that part I'm not I looking, don't... Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that at all. But we'll be inside today teaching a quantum jumping class to a group of people who are anxiously awaiting their journeys into other dimensions. So we'll be really looking forward to that later on. Fantastic. <laughs> Leslie, I think I want to just do a little recap of last week. We we were talking a lot about your hypnosis and the ET abductions and implants and things like that. And I did send you a picture, didn't I, of yes, clients of yes. mine. Yes, yeah, you so did. What and your, what was your and Wes's thoughts on that? Well, um, firstly, I must say that uh, what you what you sent me uh, was very very typical of a classic um, implant type of experience. We often see uh, the triangular shape, and the triangular shape also tells us that the contact uh, with the beings that no doubt facilitated that implant were of um, of an ascended nature uh, because they're using the triangle which which represents uh, sacred geometry which is the basis of um, much of the technology of some of the advanced um, beings that uh, we have encounters with so I I would and and also from reading the the material that uh, the individual sent along I would absolutely say that uh, she has had a a classic um a classic I don't want to use the word abduction necessarily but she's had a classic interfacing type of experience and when we do see these triangular and sometimes um crescent moon shaped um implant scars these seem to be not tracking devices in the sense of, you know, branding cattle, but they do seem to have some type of an enhancement capability. Um, now, uh, I noticed also that uh, the commentary from the individual who sent uh, sent the pictures mentioned that she was experiencing some type of sensation of increased awareness. She was uh, able to have some ambidextrous abilities, which were new to her. So I would say that all of that is in keeping with um, an upgrade type of technology. And many, many people are getting these um, uh, these gifts or 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 blessings, I almost call them, because uh, it, it is helping us to um, accelerate our vibration and bring about uh, the awakening and the new era uh, more quickly. I think, Leslie, you know, you skipped just for a minute, but did you mention 
Is there a way to tell what race that is, what that triangular shape? Well, we generally see the triangular shape from a Pleiadian or an Arcturian type of contact. And there are, of course, other beings that are uh, very, very humanoid that are also genetically entangled with us, if you will. Um, there have been many, many um, inversions of DNA and, and the rebooting of the human race. It's happened several times. And uh, we do have deep genetic connections with, with various evolved races who, who, in fact, look very much like us. Uh, no accident there. So we generally would associate the triangular-shaped uh, implant scar with some type of contact with the with the Pleiadians or the Arcturians or possibly even uh, uh, the Anunnaki, uh, possibly uh, possibly even the uh, Esasani people of of whom Bashar is is a member. So uh, it's definitely it's a positive thing. Now when we see um, when we see scars that are uh, scars and injuries, you know, that are less uh, uniform and not necessarily triangular, um, then, you know, we we tend to look towards uh, the greys and and the beings from uh, planet Serpo or some beings from Alpha Centauri or the Zeta Reticulite. So, um, in my opinion what you are looking at, your friend's implant, it really bespeaks to um, a willing uh, a participation between, you know, your your colleague and the evolved beings. Um, you know, it's my opinion that many, many so-called, many, many so-called abduction experiences are, in fact, collaborative events. Leslie, and what would be the purpose of the branding itself? I mean, just let me just pause here for a minute for our listeners. I have a, a client who I did a reading for who sent me a picture of her right hand and right between her thumb and her index finger on that soft, fleshy part. She woke up one morning with this triangle scar, a very small that was there, and um, she knew that it was, an extraterrestrial origin, and she said mm-hmm. since then she'd been having increased psychic abilities and other heightened sensitivities, and she had sent it to me. So I sent it along to Leslie for her to take a look at it and see what she thought. So that's what we're talking about today. But Leslie, yes. what would be the reason or the need to put some sort of a branding like that on someone? Well, if you're um, – I'm going to call what has happened to your – um, your colleague an upgrade, right? Because we're talking about an equilateral triangle, which definitely bespeaks to beings of an ascended nature or an evolved nature. A branding process um, is something that we would that we would see when someone's genetic line is being followed for some reason usually for some type of long-range genetic infusion project. And this is the kind of behavior, this is the kind of activity that we do see more from greys who are the United States government has had contact with since, um, if not before, since the Roswell crash. So there seems to be, uh, the greys seem to have a long-range 
uh, genetic agenda where they are they seem to be trying to create uh, hybrid beings who are able to exist comfortably on our planet. All right, now let me ask you this question too. Could you have could you have that type of triangular implant in your etheric body, let's say in your heart chakra, for example? Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, some of my clients who are, you know, interfacers or contactees, some of them recall experiences where they are given uh, implants or devices um, and these implants are are fixed in their etheric bodies, if you will. So the implants that can cause, that can incite an upgrade are not always visible on the physical body. I've had many, uh, in fact, one of my, one of my clients in particular has been through some fairly dramatic upgrade processes in his uh, interactions with um you know these wonderful beings and they are um they are almost exclusively happening to his etheric body or a term that i have come to use his psychophysical body hanu's person at the seems here to ask you a question but can you <clears throat> can you tell us the meaning of the equilateral triangle well, according to my dear friend John Raffanello, who's um, actually going to be visiting me on 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 my little show on Sunday evening, um, according to John Raffanello, the the equilateral triangle uh, is the basic element of sacred geometry. We see it in pyramidic energy. Uh, we we see it when and and I no doubt you and Ahanu have experienced this that when you are doing any type any type of spiritual process if you have at least 3 of you it increases the the dynamic of the experience just exponentially so the triangle the equilateral triangle or or I should say probably not the isosceles triangle because that is the one with the more prolonged sides but the equilateral triangle seems to be a basic unit of interdimensional quantum math, if you will. Okay. You mentioned a little show that you have out of Toronto in Canada that deserves mention. It's called Contact. And you speak specifically and you zero in on the whole business of aliens and alien abduction and Roswell and all that kind of thing. But you're also a hypnotist. And we did go through an amazing biography that we read out last week, and this week our our listeners haven't got the benefit of that. But I, I just by way of understanding, you come from a show business family, Leslie. Your, yes. your father was Whitney Mitchell, and he was a, a veteran jazz bassist and Emmy Award-winning comedy writer and producer. And your yes. uncle was a, a jazz bass legend, uh, Red Mitchell. How... Yes. Have you managed to be able to move, let's say, or encompass this background with mm. the study of ETs? How did that happen? Very interesting question. Well, uh, as you said, I do come from a show business background on all sides of my family. Um, and um, I myself, in my 
first career, if we could call it that. I was a very busy singer, dancer, actress. In fact, I still do uh, quite a bit of acting work, lots of commercials and things of that nature. So uh, that was uh, just the family business. You know, it could have been we could have been in the uh, in the shoe business or or the brewery business, which would have been nice. But <laughs> but at any rate. Um, also, uh, in addition to that to that show business uh, element, um, I am descended from a long line of, on my Irish side and also on my Swedish side, extremely um, psychically inclined uh, people. So, along with the show business talent comes a big dose of uh of uh, as we as we call it the the shining if you will so uh, i was raised in an although although raised as catholic being irish of course i was i was raised also with a complete openness to the unseen world if you will the metaphysical and even as a little tiny girl uh, i ha i was able to see for instance the auras of people frequently often when they were praying in church and I just assumed that everyone saw that. I didn't realize right. until, you know, I got to be, you know, a little bit older, nine or ten, that um, not everybody saw the things that I saw. So I do believe that there is a big uh, genetic um, predisposition uh, to to these abilities that we come in with. Now, that isn't to say uh, that people cannot increase and develop and focus on these abilities and and really bring them into uh, full fruition I believe that anyone can I think we mm -hmm. all have this ability it just may be a tad more latent in in some individuals but desire you know is everything and and I think that when we make a plan um, when we come into this physical life um, you know, and we've discussed this many times between ourselves, that there is a there is a familial uh, group karma. And I think that being born into the family that I was, uh, that I came in having selected the skill set that I would need to do my life's work. Right. So I think that uh, that's probably, um, you know, all that I could say. And I did have and I did have my own series of uh, extraterrestrial encounters from the time that I was very small. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I'm, I'm anxious to kind of establish if somebody is creative and psychic, or are they mutually exclusive? Do you understand? Mm, I do. I kind of think personally that it's part and parcel of the same thing. But people can very right. easily deny their psychic nature and, and, you know, repress it if they're not born into a, a, an environment that's accepting or if, or if their pull is not strong enough to, to develop mm -hmm. it. But I do think they, I think they have to do with the pineal gland. Um, uh, the pineal gland, of course, is, uh, is located really in, uh, directly inside of where the third eye would be. And it looks kind of like a pine cone. And you do see the pineal gland in metaphysical art represented as a pine cone all the time, yes. even in early Indeed. Christian art. And well, didn't, um, we, didn't we speak about the Pope last week? And isn't there a huge sculpture of a pine cone in the Vatican City? 
Indeed which there is. Which nobody has an explanation for. But we no. understand it, of course. We do. And uh, in my opinion, uh, the early church was entrusted by benevolent ETs to, you know, to help the world, indeed. And that trust was horribly betrayed. So the initial intention of the church was was probably very, very benevolent, but became twisted by greed and financial issues and control, uh, sexual repression, you know, the whole the whole ball of wax uh into into you know the organization that it is today which is which does not serve if i may be so bold does not serve humanity any organization that that is talking about uh sin and punishment and um and belie- and and teaches the idea that one must have someone to interface for you to communicate with your spiritual self um that is horrible, you know, and and really uh, the the ultimate sin to try to make us forget what we really are, which is we really are divine beings. We are divine beings in physical bodies, just like all of these um, evolved races that are trying to help us, that are visiting us. We are divine beings in physical bodies, and and the church would have us uh, forget that. And Leslie, that brings me to the next concern or question. With everything that you've experienced with ETs and our encountering and the fact that many of us who are here are ETs, mm-hmm. what is, what's your view of our future? Only because I know Ahana was watching a, a video the other night about, you know, the food and Monsanto and how the soil's been ruined and the bees are dying. So this is a huge concern to many, many, many people in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, our ability to grow food and and the and the war that's on really with these these companies and uh, the governments and stuff. So yes. what's your what's your thought about that? And well, I think the fact that the fact that Ahonu was able to see a video about Monsanto and what they are doing with engineering everything we eat points to the fact that the old paradigm is crumbling. It is crumbling right before our eyes. The old selfish, greed-based financial institutions are on their way out. Um, and as you probably both both know you know, the, and have experienced yourselves, the amount of media that is now coming forth that is examining and exposing all of these incredible um, issues of not only um, uh, food engineering, but you know the black budgets of the United States, uh, the you know the level of technology that truly exists that is kept from us, zero point energy. This information is now all over, you know, the internet, accessible to anyone, and knowledge is the key. There has never been a a period of time in our memory where we have been able to communicate so effortlessly and so easily on an international basis. And because of this communication, media can no longer be controlled. And so the truth... Thank God for that. (laughs) Yes, thank God for that. And, And the truth is 
is um, percolating out. There's nothing that can be done to stop it. It's like a cascade effect. And we are, as, we are as beings, incredibly curious. So even if you're a person who has no um, particular spiritual program or spiritual belief system, um, your curiosity as a humanoid is also going to make you want to investigate these uh, these terrible paradigms and how uh, there is no reason why anybody should be hunger, hungry or poor in our world today and how we have really been uh, working to serve an elitist few. I think I read something like, uh, something some horrendous figure like 80% of the world's wealth is being manipulated by maybe one and a half percent of the Earth's population. Yeah, I know. It, it's so crazy. And I think the thing about it, though, is that it's been such a tradition in these families. They've been in, in control for so long that, you know, now now it's all being exposed and people are starting to wake up and understand that they have a right to say yes or no to a lot of these insane things that are being um you know, put on us. And I think that, you know, in my opinion, that's one of our biggest lessons because we've been raised to obey authority figures. And I think we've we've become so dependent on those authority figures for everything. And, you know, some of these laws that are being passed, uh, it's time people say no. You know, I, I don't know why we think that just because a law is passed, we all have to say Oh, okay, there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the opposite is true, but we're going to get off track, and I want to go back to our ET discussion because then we need to get into the interlife. Yes. But I would like to know about the difference with the grays because I do think there's confusion out there. There are some people that say that those taller grays are good guys and the smaller ones are not, and so... What's your thoughts on that, and how can you tell the difference? Well, what what we seem to be understanding of late is that these smaller gray beings, you know, the real little guys that are three feet tall that often come in and levitate people out of their rooms and through walls, these small gray beings that are often described as emotionless or soulless are actually um, very, very sophisticated androids. They are biological, but they are also robotic. And uh, and if, and in fact, you know, the the powers that be um, have been able to capture some of these beings, and some of them cease to cease to live under captivity. And after they get in there and do autopsies, they find that the small greys do not have complete organs in the sense of they have no they have no involved digestive system. Uh, they do not have uh, traditional blood in the sense that a, that a true biological being would. Uh, so they seem to be um, really almost like uh, worker ants or drones that have been created for deep space travel. So a lot of the time when when things when when people have abduction experiences, these traditional abduction experiences, like say Betty and Barney Hill, for instance. They are initially confronted by the small greys who we'll just call, you know, the workers, for lack of a better term. And yet they do have actual interaction and contact with a much uh, taller version 
of the grays. Now, the taller grays are, um, for all intents and purposes, we believe they are primarily from uh, the planet Serpo, which exists in the Alpha Centauri system. Now, these beings from the planet Serpo were the beings that were piloting the craft that was downed in the Roswell experience. And um, mm -hmm. not all of these beings were killed. In fact, there was a, a leader of sorts who survived, and we later went on to have an agreement with the beings from Planet Serpo. In fact, according to some of these amazing deathbed con uh, confessions that are now taking place from the military people who were involved with all of this activity and who are now, you know, in their 90s, according to much of this information, um, we, in fact, even sent a team of 12 uh, astronauts, if you will, on an exchange program to the planet Serpo, of which two of those people, two of those individuals are on our planet living today still. But um, now, so let me, here's a question. Yes, carry on. I'm I'm uh, not small. I, I'm regarded as tall, but I've been going gray for quite some time. Does that mean I'm one of those guys? No, I think I I think that that points to your uh, basic uh, Anunnaki um, ancestry. That's where you get your height. And in fact, um, many of us who have Irish ancestry, uh, there was a very uh, major Anunnaki uh, culture which was established uh, in in Ireland's very deep history by one of the female Anunnaki. So that's why we tend to see you know quite a bit of goddess worship um, in the in the ancient, uh, uh, if you will, the ancient Urs or Celtic cultures. And uh, well, the Anunnaki, like, yes. Yahanu has a very negative view of the Anunnaki. He he goes along with the belief that they actually downstepped our, <clears throat> our biology and um, bred out certain of our our DNA codes for their own purposes. What do you, what do you know about that? If, well, is that I'm true in, or not? I'm in I'm in agreement with that on on a certain level. Now, remember the Anunnaki at the time that they began to have contact with uh with with Earth, so to speak. Um they came from within our own solar system. So they were not interdimensional travelers. They were really physical beings, you know, very much like us who simply had a better understanding of quantum physics and and genetics. And their whole objective was to create a slave race to help mine their gold. So in doing so, um, what they did, according to the material from Zechariah Sitchin and his marvelous translations, is they they took a, a hominid, um, um, an ape even, if you will, an early hominid, and through a variety of genetic experimentation, which went on for quite a long time, finally they developed the Adama, which was a, a, a humanoid-type being. Now, it's my belief that in their genetic splicing, they were very concerned that we didn't live too long. Uh, so there are, so they, they put a capper, if you will, on our life expectancy. They were also very concerned that we uh, would evolve spiritually and, and realize our divine nature. 
So they did other genetic things that I believe gave us this uh, God spell, if you wish to call it that, this uh, subservient kind of thing that you, Angel, were mentioning just a little bit ago. This subservient acceptance is something that we carry genetically as a result of the Anunnaki intervention, if you will. Um, so... So yes, the Anunnaki we have it's it's they were they were humanoids. They were imperfect beings. They were not gods. Uh and in the same way that we, you know, that we had slaves, you know, picking our cotton for us, um they had us, you know, digging out the gold out of the core of our of our earth, out of the and that was that was our purpose. Now, I think what they did not expect, they did not expect that we would evolve so quickly. And that we would evolve um, into such really uh, insightful, intelligent, and powerful beings. I think they totally underestimated our own ability to evolve. And um, so herein lies the rub. And of course, you know, before the Anunnaki, they caught, the Anunnaki caused a lot of chaos on Earth. They they had a lot of infighting. Uh, it's recorded in every ancient document in court including the Bhagavata in India they had infighting they they were involved in inbreeding and before they finally you know left the earth after causing an awful lot of chaos you know they put their their hybrid uh sons and daughters in charge of the earth and hence that began the era of the old kingdom of of Egypt yes now let's just pause there and put all of that in context this is this is our ancient history that so many people are unaware of and that the various churches and religious bodies would not want us to know because yes. as far as they're concerned the world is only 2000 years old but <laughs> yes <laughs> what has puzzled me though for a long long time leslie is what happened before that in other words where did the Anunnaki come from, or where did where did these interstellar beings come from? And aren't we still all talking about some form of 3D, some form of creation? And I'm trying to step back further than that and say, well, you know, where did the creation happen, and whose idea was it? Do you understand where I'm trying to yes, get at? Yes. Well, this is you know, a, this is of course the big. That would be the big question. Um, yeah. My personal feeling is that all creation comes from a central source and that there is life everywhere in the universe. Um, and on our end, we are in very dense physical bodies and we have these limited lifetimes, which is what sort of necessitates the process of reincarnation. Uh, so that we are able to grow and experience in a in a in a fair kind of way, um, but as far, I think that um, I think that on the on the Earth itself um, coexisting with any of these Miocene apes that may have been upgraded by the Anunnaki, that these civilizations of of Atlantis and Lemuria uh, were were hugely sophisticated. And, and seem to involve um, sophisticated human, human beings uh, from an even further back time in prehistory. So it's, and, and some would say, well, were the Atlanteans ETs? 
were the Lemurians ETs? Well, I think that those beings in Atlantis and Lemuria were evolved to the point where where they were capable of interdimensional spiritual travel. And we know that there are wormholes everywhere. We know that there are there. Are, in fact, this is interesting, Hanu and Angel, because um, bona fide scientists have just come out and said that they have found portals, if you will. They have found um, anomalies in the grid, in the magnetic grid of the Earth that they don't fully understand and that these anomalies uh, exist in our magnetic um our magnetic level uh, of atmosphere rather so that the portals are seem to be connected to the atmospheres of other planets if that makes sense in any kind of way i'm no scientist but this is what i've read so science is admitting now what what we have known for a long time to be true that some beings some interdimensional beings are able to travel by utilizing um, the the natural um, wormholes or the natural uh, anomalies of our planets and their planets. There are stargates, if you will. And I believe that these stargates <clears throat> exist and that they predate the Anunnaki. Yeah, I, I have awareness of a lot happening on this planet prior to the Anunnaki. I, you know, sources told us that the Anunnaki are fairly recent. Yes. In comparison, in comparison to, you know, the other beings that did come here to help seed this planet originally. Yes. Yes. So, um, you know, you you take a look at what's happening to our world, and in a way, it is um, it, it's just sad, really, when you think of the digression that's occurred. Especially because yeah. I have memories, you know, I, I have memories long ago of coming here in my Merkaba. I traveled mm-hmm. in my Merkaba vehicle and I brought the rose seeds to the planet. Don't you all want yes. to thank me for that? <laughs> oh, you, I do want to thank you. My beautiful roses are just about to explode here, too, in the front. So thank you, Angel. No one loves those roses more than I do. <laughs> but I'm I'm in total agree I'm in total agreement with you. And and some of these evolved beings that tra- you know came in etheric bodies. They weren't densely physical. So there was a lot of interaction. Yeah. And we also have to look at you know we can easily see the story uh, or not easily, but there is a story in our in our blood groupings. And um many many ancient astronaut theorists believed that there were three major genetic interventions, if you will, which is why we have O-type blood, A-type blood, and B-type blood. Now, the O blood is the most ancient. So if you're talking about, um, you know, Lemurians or beings that traveled in the Merkaba and, 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 and were involved in the planet pre-Anunnaki, um, those beings had also the stand the O type blood. Now, if you find people with O negative, and of course um, RH is 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 a rhesus. It comes directly from ape-like beings. So if you find people without uh, with RH negative, no matter what the blood grouping is, that points to an ancestry that predates the Anunnaki. People who are carrying rhesus genes, in other words, O positive, A positive, B positive, are are the legacy of the Anunnaki who upgraded 
Miocene apes, and then also helped to reseed the planet after the Great uh, Flood, after that great cataclysm, which they did not cause, by the way. It was just a natural event that occurred with global warming. So, um, But they did help try to reseed the planet following that. Now, I myself have uh, O-negative blood, and I know that less than... 6% of the entire population is carrying O-negative blood, which would be the most ancient blood grouping. And I think All the right. very rarest, I think the most rare uh, blood type is AB-negative, which points to someone that has ancestry not only from from uh, from pre-Anunnaki, but Anunnaki as well. Now, my grandmother, my late grandmother, who was extremely psychic and descended from a line of, of healers and essentially medicine women, if you will, she had AB negative blood. Well, I have O positive, and I know that I'm not strictly an Anunnaki. <laughs> no, but you, you, you definitely, this points to an ancestry that does the fact that you have O blood, it points to the initial physical seeding of the planet, which points to a time prior to the Anunnaki. Right. And what about Ohanu? Do you know Ohanu, do you know what are your, your blood, your blood type? type? He says he doesn't know. I, I he could be an O, I think, too. But I'm not sure. Mm. I, I would be very interested I'd be very interested to know if if Ahanu is um, is carrying Anunnaki DNA or pre-Anunnaki DNA? So, so you're saying the Anunnaki were tall, very. Are you oh very tall? Like how tall? They were extremely tall. I mean, the the um, uh, the males could be, you know, more than more than eight feet. Um, okay. uh, we we know a lot about their height from the ancient Sumerian cylinder scrolls and from the ancient Sumerian drawings. And uh, the humanoids that are uh, pictorialized in the cylinder seals look almost to be, you know, half the size of of the Anunnaki. And I don't think that these drawings are strictly about how powerful they felt that the Anunnaki were. They were actually very, very, and are very, very tall, uh, blonde, fair beings with uh, blue eyes and a, a luminous skin. And what about, see, now this brings up all sorts of questions for me. Do you know anything about a predominantly female race of beings that would be, you know, a good 12 feet tall? There were the, um, you know, the precursors or the, the, you know, where the legends of the Amazon women come from. Uh, I, I think that's what you're talking about. What we na what we now think is um, the so-called Amazon women were, in fact, dis Anunnaki in nature, and uh, they came across the steppes um, out of Eastern Europe and, in fact, emigrated uh, and settled eventually in Ireland. So, again, we have tall blondes and redheads um, descended from from Anunnaki people. I don't know if they were I, I don't know if they were a separate race, but but we do know that because of the because of the Anunnaki establishment in Ireland that was very um uh very matriarchal because of the because of the being that set it up, that there we might actually be talking about 
the same kind of thing. We might just be talking about Anunnaki women who kind of ran the show in Ireland. Okay. Well, I do know that Ahano stays stuck in a particular chakra. (laughs) (laughs) I just teased them. Okay. I I have one other question. What about the white dolphins? Do you know anything about the white dolphin race? Well, dolphins are are sacred and and ancient in the extreme. And although although I do not know specifically um uh, about what you're asking, I do know that the dolphins and the Anunnaki were very close. And um and the dolphins may even be the highest form of of life on our planet. Um, and uh, they have a relationship with evolved beings that goes back uh, back before the Anunnaki, back to the Atlanteans. The Atlanteans totally interfaced with uh, with dolphins. And if you read, you know, of course, the traditional and um, also the psychic information that we get about Atlantis, we know, of course, that it was an extremely aquatic, water-based culture. They were very involved with water and the ocean and... Um, you know, I wouldn't even close my mind to the idea that there that there are beings on our earth who who are humanoid and aquatic, not unlike mer people. Uh, I think that anything is I think that anything is possible and the the myriad and the varieties of life are infinite. Leslie, let us take this opportunity to have a little studio break here. And remind our listeners that you're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on the Honest to God series. And we're speaking with Leslie Mitchell-Clark. And she is from lightworkershypnosis.com. And she can be contacted at 416-486-6742. We'll be back right after this break. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. The Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu. You're welcome back, folks. We're with Leslie Mitchell Clark today and we're speaking about alien abduction, spiritual ascendance, and we want to get talking about the life between lives. But before we do, I'd like to thank our sponsor, which is Diamond Sun Hosting, consciously hosting your spiritual websites since 1993. They can be contacted at diamondsunhosting.com. And if you wish to sponsor an episode or the full Honest to God series, contact us at angelrose at angelrose.com. That's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E.com. Now, Leslie Mitchell-Clark, all the way from Toronto in Canada. You are a specialist in hypnosis and you have a particular talent for contacting that being or that personage, let's call it, in between lives. Can you talk to us about that and its significance or its benefit to us? Well, I I think that um, uh, in the work that I do with hypnotic regression, the most significant and empowering process that that I'm able to facilitate is an exploration of the life between lives. Because if we are able to really examine um, our 
our reasons and our motivation and all of the all of the colors and ideas and plans that go into preparing to incarnate on earth then we then we immediately begin to understand that we are not victims of circumstance that we put in the broad strokes that we come in with an intention and we to the best of our ability and also with the input of our spirit guides that we um that we incarnate into the families and with the skills and abilities that will be that will most easily allow us to do our life's work whatever that may be and um so we we it's an empowering thing i would have to say when we explore when we explore the interlife uh we examine all of those uh all of those issues about why someone has chosen either this particular life or a particular life from the past Leslie what would be the reason why people would come in here and let's say have you know right off the bat be experiencing sexual abuse or child abuse. I mean, do you see a pattern in that anywhere? Boy, and and this is a big subject because um Angel Nahono, you would be you would be appalled and probably horrified by how much child abuse I uncover in just my regular work as a hypnotherapist. I have no this is something this is something that I have struggled with myself to try and understand why something as horrific as child abuse even exists and what could be the possible purpose of experiencing it and I just have to tell you in 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 all in all honesty this is something that I am still struggling with and you know when someone comes to me uh for for hypnotherapy to recover memories just without any metaphysical uh component you know thrown in i almost always find repressed memories of child abuse maybe and this is just a big maybe but maybe these these individuals who have experienced these horrific things are here to let us know that healing is possible that healing and forgiveness and resolution are possible even under the most heinous circumstances and that love and forgiveness and releasement of negativity are are first and foremost in any type of personal spiritual evolution and that's about the only thing that i can really come up with because i do know that through processing these memories and people are able to have incredible healing and they are able to remove blockages and neuroses and behaviors and fears and anxiety that all stem from these horrific acts of having their power taken away that really is predominantly what happens 
I yes. find is that it really does, <clears throat> in a way, pluralizes the person with their power. And, and I think that's, that's so fascinating because I know that they'll spend their whole lives, you know, in situations where their power is either being challenged or they're not able to assert their power. But it does, it does look like that is one of the huge effects is the, is the loss of personal power. I think it is, I think, I think it is, as you say, uh, one of the primary things that, that we are able to do through various therapies, no doubt the therapies that, that, that you both are doing on the spiritual level, the therapies that I am doing in, in involving the releasement of negativity from the unconscious mind, we can restore people's personal power. Uh, and it's, and to me, I don't know if there is anything, I'm almost getting choked up talking about it because I don't know if there is anything more fulfilling in the work that I do than, than healing, than healing that kind of trauma and restoring someone's personal power. And, you know, if I may, I, I don't believe I've ever shared this on the radio before, um, but, um, my, my dear late brother and I, uh, were both, uh, molested sexually as children by, by, one of my horrific grandfathers and this horrific individual also molested my mother although she is in deep denial even to this day and and uh, is one of the most neurotic people I've ever known in my life <laughs> but part of that is is because she is unable uh, she is a very damaged person and and is unable to process this material now my dear late brother um was unable to process uh these experiences and be released from them and in fact instead chose a life of of medication whether it was through drugs or alcohol it was a lifetime of medication because the pain was so great and he was unable to look at it i myself um first began to look at these terrible incidents in my work as an actress because of course as an actor you have to it's like walking in a way it's in a way it's like walking through a dark house you know with a candle you know you you have to look at all your 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 nooks and crannies and um so my memories my conscious memories of the abuse that i experienced really first began to surface in my in my technical work as an actor when i was a teenager and and luckily rather than shrink in fear um, I have been able to uh, explore the incidents themselves and release them. Although I certainly cannot say that I have released the anger and the and the violation, especially in terms of what happened to my brother. So it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process, eh? It's it's an ongoing process, but but this this epidemic of child abuse um is beyond reason and um i i am working towards an understanding of it but uh all i can say is that for now on a one to one basis it seems to be about power and control it does i mean that's what i've kind of seen in it is that it right away right away takes away somebody's personal power and um you know, geez, you know, I talk about paralysis only because not through child abuse, but through other traumas in my life, 
uh, when I go back there, I realize there's still a part of me that's in shock. Yeah. And um, that shock results in a paralysis of your willpower. Yes. And, um, you, you know, to me, there's there's a lot of healing to be done with trauma in general. Yes. Because of that, because shock is such a such an interesting uh, reaction that we do emotionally and psychologically in order to just keep going. Yes. But it's interesting that your will is so affected by it, and not only your will, but, you know, your ability to feel deeply, your ability to manifest, all of that is, is affected. So it, you are right in that it's a huge, it's a huge field. And, uh, you know, going back to even the programming from authority figures and why why we go into shock at all and i do i do think part of part of it is that we're so programmed to have other beings or other people and teachers and bosses and church leaders and parents tell us who we are and what to be that you know just to recover a full memory of yourself in terms of your own particular spirit identity can be a lifelong task, in my opinion, you know? Yes, Angel, I, I, I could not agree with you more. There is, there is psychic and there is spiritual damage uh, that, that occurs under these horrific uh, incidents, and it is paralyzing and can be paralyzing. And, uh, but, you know, I think the good news is that we are capable of healing through almost through anything i'm going to say we are capable of healing any wound but we have to be brave and we have to trust it does take and a good degree of self-honesty too doesn't it it does it, it does indeed and and i think maybe that you know in, in in answer to your question of why why does this child abuse happen perhaps in my case what i experienced was on some level necessary for me to have compassion for the people that I work with and that I help to recover and and right. and manifest their highest potential. I don't know if I could truly understand it as I do, especially with the memory repression aspects, if it had not occurred to me. Right, and, and even talking about these, uh, extraterrestrial abductions with the greys i mean some of the people report you know that they're they're probing their private areas and they're mm -hmm. taking substance out and, and that's mm -hmm. a form of sexual abuse in my opinion <laughs> oh it, it it is it is and and the small greys and the dark agenda of the hybrid program um, and and remember a lot of this is going on with the participation and the and the um uh, the basic um, support of our own governmental systems in the United States. So this is much more complicated than, you know, an alien race coming here and grabbing people and doing stuff to them. Uh, this is a this is a decades, if not century old program of hybridization. And it's part of the deal that we made uh, at the time of the Roswell crash. Advanced technology for continuation of the hybrid program it and that's was an one thing action. i wanted to ask i wanted to ask you leslie in terms of who these grays pick to abduct i mean is it just random and let's say they just come along and say well we'll just pick any human and check them out or do they deliberately have assignments to go to particular people and if they do 
how does that happen? Well, I think random things do happen. Uh, first of all, uh, sort of a right place, right time kind of thing, as in the case of, you know, Travis Walton. Uh, he had had no previous abduction experiences. He has not had any since that major incident. So I think, yes, and also in the case of Betty and Barney Hill, that seemed to be rather random. But the evidence, um, the evidence really points to, uh, the greys following genetic breeding lines, if you will, because I think that's how they, they view us. Uh, they it is not unusual for families to have a generational history of abductions. They seem to be following our, our bloodlines, if you will, uh, for whatever reason. Um, and perhaps, um, you know we so we do see we do see a familial involvement in fact uh, with many of the many of the interfacers or abductees that i work with they will often say that a niece or a nephew or a sister or a father uh had had experiences that they partially remembered consciously and sometimes mm -hmm. we even see uh entire families abducted at the same time so yes. they are definitely after some type of linear uh, genetic um, um, program of some sort. Yes. I want to ask you about, let's use the big generic term ascension. Now, yes. you know, it's everybody's aspiration, let's say, to ascend to what now very few people know. But the idea or the impetus or the human condition is to, to grow some into something. Yes. We're not sure exactly what that is. So what I want to ask you is, when somebody does grow into this spiritual awareness or this ascension, let's call it, for want of a better word, are they actually just becoming aware for the first time in a long time of their origins or are they actually going beyond that and in a way looking down at it and saying, you know, I was, I was involved in, a, in an ET hybrid program or I was a, a grey or I was a, 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 an Anunnaki or whatever. And, but now I see the part I played in all of that. In other words, do, when we talk about ascension, are we effectively taking on a kind of a helicopter vision and looking at the whole hybrid program from somewhere else? Or are we just are we just becoming aware of the fact that you know this is who I am I I'm I'm an Anunnaki I'm a Gray I'm a whatever Do you understand my question I think that I I I do sort of think that it is a helicopter view in a way because I believe that we are all we are all souls we are all equal souls we are all equal creations and um, in fact we know again from the interlife um, explorations that people freely incarnate into different um, types of uh, alien, if you will, bodies. I mean, we can, we can incarnate as Pleiadians. We can incarnate um, anywhere we really wish to. Um, so there is a big unification, if you will, of all souls. So, yes, ascension does by its nature give one an overview of the oneness of life and of the oneness of the life force, as it were. Now, also, that being said, I, I do believe that maybe part of the natural evolution of, 
of beings is to ascend into higher dimensional levels. So I think what's happening now, and, and I'm sure I'm sure yourselves and, and many of you, the people that you work with and your colleagues have mentioned this sensation of things speeding up. And this is not really an illusion. It's, it's actually a very true perception because as our awareness increases, we are actually vibrating at a higher level. And I think that we're going to vibrate ourselves right into a fourth and fifth dimensional existence, which is where, you know, the Esasani people are. That's where the Pleiadians are now. So they're a little bit farther ahead of us in the, in the, uh, in the evolutionary, um, process, the natural evolutionary process of beings. But we are, we are on our way. And with every bit of awareness, with every bit of illumination, with every prayer, with every meditation, with every exploration into our, our Akashic records, our vibration speeds up as it is naturally supposed to. It's just, you know, when you're in kindergarten, it's a, it's a learning process. And then when you're in grade six, you're ready to graduate to middle school. You know, we're, we're just, we're, all, we are on the path that has been trod by many, many wonderful beloved beings throughout the universe, both interdimensionally and in our own dimension. Yes. So you mentioned there the, the similarity between evolution and ascension, that ascension is like us evolving into that higher aspect of ourselves, or in another way you likened it to us being in kindergarten at the moment. Yes, yes. So so I, I want to try and get some clarity around that. Um, we're having some young children, as you know, being born in with extremely fantastic, amazing gifts. Oh my goodness, they ability. are. So oh, how... Yes. So what I want to try and get at then is, are they are they jumping the the queue or jumping the line, as we say in the United States? Are, are yes. they jumping the line in the in the way of evolution? They're jumping the queue a little bit, but remember, they're just there are always avatars that come in to help a civilization. There are always messengers. There are always light beings and evolved beings. Um, uh, uh, Isa, Jesus Christ, uh, Muhammad, um, uh, the Buddha, you know, the, the, the list goes on and on, uh, perhaps even Ahura Mazda of the Zoroastrian tradition. I think there are always avatars that come in that choose to assume physical form in our dimension to help. Uh, because remember, we are, you know, we have been a bit derailed by um, interventions that maybe necessarily should not have happened. We have, in a sense, uh, been held back by this this um, uh, this Anunnaki uh, servant master uh, god spell kind of thing. So I think we are getting help as needed, and I do believe that these incredible souls that are coming in now are really coming in by choice, and they are coming in with all of their special skills to illuminate and to assist us into this birthing, into this next uh, dimension of, of peace and plenty and reconnection with Mother Earth. And, with, with, um, and, re and we need to be ready to assume our roles as caretakers of Mother Earth and everything that happens here and beyond.
Right, Leslie. Now, can you switch back over to the interlife and tell us what happens in between our lifetimes? Well, there seems to be quite a uniformity of experience. And and that is not to say that, that it isn't all individual and special, but there seem to be certain things that, that occur um, amongst all you know, beings when they are in that, that wonderful, uh, we call it the blue mist, when they're in that lovely um, uh, time without time, place without place. And um, I would recommend anyone who is uh, particularly interested in this interlife and also past life journeys to uh, look up the work of Michael Newton. And Michael Newton is really the, um, you know, the great uh, godfather of the interlife research and uh in in of course our contemporary times the uh the person you know holding the torch uh would be Dr. Georgina Cannon who has also written several uh, wonderful books about this subject matter so um oh boy I'm sorry I forgot what what did you ask me on Gail I was yammering about my about what happens in the interlife okay um so essentially when we when we transition out of this physical life uh, whether it's an abrupt transmission or an illness, whatever it is, people generally experience um, the traditional passing through the tunnel, um, passing through a tunnel of light. It may look different. It may seem different to, to each individual. But basically, there's a coming out of the body and a rushing uh, through a, a portal, if you will. And most often... Um, in that portal to meet us are either beloved people to us who have passed before. Uh, sometimes our spirit guides are there to meet us, particularly if you have been psychically active and you have a relationship with your spirit guides and would recognize their energy. Um, also, sometimes if people are uh, rather ingrained in uh, traditional religious dogma, they may see um, a religious figure such as Jesus or the Mother Mary or even a saint. Um, now, it's my be it's my belief that a lot of the time that is a spirit guide or an evolved being assuming a comforting visage, if you will. I don't believe that literally necessarily every time someone sees you know a religious icon such as the buddha when they cross over that uh, that that was the buddha himself but certainly an evolved spirit an evolved guide uh, assuming that role so following that initial exit from the body um we generally sometimes people stick around a little while with their guide and um you know, are, have trouble really leaving and transitioning into this, you know, higher dimensional form of existence. But ideally, following the exit from the body, um, souls generally um, are reunited with their soul group if they in fact have a soul group. And this is something I'm sure that both of you have explored, you know, extensively. Um, with the relation, the karmic relationships that we share, uh, but we generally meet with our soul group, and of course we we recognize them, and um, and there's a there's a very wonderful reunion, and by soul group I don't necessarily mean people that we've known in a physical life, 
So our soul group could include, uh, you know, far beings who incarnated, you know, 500 years ago. There don't seem to be any real rules to it. And you wouldn't necessarily see your mother and your father, if they've passed, in your soul group. Because the soul group um, goes sort of beyond those relationships. Um, well, so I following... know, Leslie, I've had a few husbands who've crossed over. I wonder... How am I going to choose who to go with if they're both there? Well, I think I don't I think it just is all so easy and I would say that that you and Ohanu being being twin flames would certainly grab uh, certainly would also be part of the soul group and would gravitate towards each other in a way that that wouldn't happen with those other individuals. Well, otherwise, there might be one big scrap on the other side when we get over there. <laughs> there might be a big punch-up, as we say, right? <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> but for whatever reason, this doesn't seem to occur. There doesn't seem to be jealousy or people being threatened, you know, by by <laughs> by anything. So I think we can look forward to a um, a rather gentle and joyous reunion, you know, whoever's there. It's uh, yes, it will yes, all be yes, comfortable yes. and easy and 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 good. So after this reunion, sometimes uh, people go through souls go through a um, a rest period, if you will, or even a recreational period. But there seems to be a time of contemplation and reflection uh, that is either private or not private, where you begin to process what has occurred in your most recent lifetime that you just transitioned out of. And then uh, generally, people also, um, when they begin to decide if they're going to come back in again into physical life, um, they are able to to have a kind of a, um, a holographic viewing screen, if you will, where they can survey uh, the different physical forms that they can return into. And... Um, uh, so for whatever reason, for instance, one of my clients was given the choice of uh, several different beings, one of them being like a, a, a tribal African chief. But this particular client decided to come back as a woman here and now because this was going to be a much more, uh, uh, it'll be, it would be much easier to have a media pedestal for, for this person's particular career. So, you know, we, ch we choose according to what, what we want to accomplish or what our task may be in if we decide to come back into physical form. And then uh, generally um, people meet with a council and the council is usually comprised of ascended beings, spirit guides, and these ascended beings, by the way, can look as if they come from other civilizations aside from Earth. Uh, one particular client that I work with who's a multiple interfacer uh, contactee, uh, when I did an interlife regression for him, um, his counsel seemed to be made up of Pleiadians. Tall, beautiful, blonde, you know, uh, and so that reflected, I guess, his his soul group more effectively. So there you go. Um and then and then when when someone decides to come in 
Um, and this is something that I've only recently been able to explore because I sort of discovered it by accident. But there does seem to be a transition where people's soul energy becomes uh, compressed, if you will, in a way, so that it can um, so that it can transition easily into the infant body. And this is something I never, even Michael Newton didn't touch on this, or Georgina Cannon, but I've had several clients right here in my chair in my office who have talked about after going through this process of deciding on their physical form and meeting with the council that they go somewhere to become small is the way they put it. So we've had discussions about this is why anybody would, shrink themselves down and incarnate in a physical body on earth when it's filled with so much trouble. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Everybody that's coming in is coming in with a purpose to, 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 this is the time, this is the time of ascension that has been uh, written about in, in every major uh, religious document uh, since the dawn of time that we have access to. Uh, we also know that because of certain cosmological events, we are being bombarded with photonic energy, which is in fact turning on latent DNA that is part of our original makeup, not the truncated fusion that, that happened during the Anunnaki intervention. So, uh, you know, we, the time, the time is right. And even the Mayans refer to this, uh, not even the Mayans, but the Mayan culture refers to this era of our civilization as the time of, um, well, for lack of a better term, uh, the ethers. So by the ethers, we mean, of course, space time. So this is the period in manner. Yeah, I did experience in one of the, Sunday groups that we just did recently where somebody asked about time if it was speeding up and Source's answer was uh, that it wasn't speeding up, it was thinning. And I thought that was an interesting distinction, you know? (laughs) Yes, because literal time, you know, linear time doesn't exist. I mean, it's simply an agreement that we make when we're in physical form so we can accomplish things. But it doesn't really exist. So along with time thinning, the membranes between the dimensional levels are also thinning. I don't know how many, uh, you know, psychics and evolved people that I've listened to and read are all talking about the veil thinning. They may use that terminology. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. So I'm going to switch gears here a minute and ask you what you think about all these recent discoveries of pyramids in parts of the world that we didn't know they existed. And also, um, there was a report that they have spontaneously at different times emitted um, beams of light out of their apex at the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you think about that? What do you know about that? Well, it's absolutely true. It's it's absolutely true. There was at one time a highly functional uh, power system utilizing the Earth's grid, which, as I understand it now, the Earth's magnetic grid is being repaired by um, by the Arcturians and other evolved beings who are working together in a kind of a federation, not unlike you know Gene Gene Roddenberry's marvelous utopian ideas. So yes, indeed, these um, and most recently, I think you're probably might be referring to the um, the the massive 
uh, pyramid complex that has been recently discovered in um, um, in Serbia. Is it Russia or Serbia? No, it's yeah. it's 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 in Serbia. It's I was gonna, yeah. I'm trying okay. to remember if it was Bosnia or Serbia, but I believe it's actually in in Serbia. But it is the largest pyramidal complex that has been discovered as yet on the face of the earth. It dwarfs the pyramid complex in um, in Egypt, and they have even now been able to get um, some pretty startling EMF readings. So so some type of power, although not in a fully functional sense is being is being generated still so what we're going it's my belief that the discovery of these pyramidal structures is all part of opening our awareness to zero point energy which is probably the single most important thing that is going to transform our civilizations and our earth and lead us into the new era zero point energy and everything that comes with it is going to allow us to eliminate poverty to eliminate want and need and greed and zero point energy will cripple the evil oil companies and all the rest of the evildoers who are modifying our food and poisoning us uh, and with the idea of, of continuing control through their greed. So um, yeah. I, I think, um, and you, and I'm sure as, as both of you have um, gone through various um, lifetimes and studies, um, no doubt you've come across some people who have had very prominent uh, Egyptian lives, perhaps early in the culture, when they may have described uh, the luminous glows coming off of the coming off of the at least the Great Pyramid, um, and and our research now and uh, the research of uh, many many renowned archaeologists points to the Great Pyramid of Giza being a type of a reactor. Um, there's no one buried in there. There are queen's chambers and king's chambers and vents for steam, and there is evidence of um, of some type of uh, fission activity going on within the Great Pyramid. It was a part of a worldwide global power system. Uh, yes. There you go. Well, we found the same thing that, uh, interestingly, has changed even in the last just two or three years, where if you were to go to any of the uh, tourist areas of Ireland, especially the megalithic tombs, for example, yes. and Newgrange in particular. The first time I brought Angel Rose there, the, the tourist spin on it was that it was an ancient burial chamber. Mm. And in more recent times, they've changed that completely to yes. now describe it as a temple and then even to describe it as a possible energy source. Yes. So you can see that it, it's beginning to filter down into the mainstream that there was something else going on here besides just a primitive, savage people uh, oh, cremating their dead. Oh, indeed. In fact, it has it has nothing to do with with burial, in in my opinion, you know, whatsoever. And if you've been to these places, you can feel the palpable energy. And there are reasons, there are geophysical reasons why these power points exist and why the ancient peoples built their power stations in these particular places in the geophysical grid. Um, and we're beginning, as I mentioned when we first started chatting, we are beginning to, to understand, and now science is admitting for the first time ever that there are vortices and power points. 
Yes. Now, unfortunately, Leslie, we have to start winding down, bring the conversation to a close. And uh, I would like to just do a quick summary of what we've been speaking about today with you, Leslie Mitchell-Clark. We spoke about the Atlanteans and the Murians. We talked about portals. We talked about the Anunnaki and the various ET races, the Greys and so on. Stargates, you talked at length about the greatest, uh, those uh, blood types, the various mm-hmm. blood types and their relationships to those, uh, their origins. And the, the whole racial origins of that. We spoke very briefly about white dolphins and you did then go into great detail about the life between lives mm-hmm. and the what you call the interlife. We spoke yes. about Child of Bruce, the hybrid program, ascension into oneness. We spoke about time and how it's speeding up and thinning and all of that, the, the veils thinning. We mentioned briefly about the indigo crystal and rainbow children, their abilities and their memories coming in with memories intact. Uh, we, You did describe the compression that happens prior to birth, which we found fascinating. You yes. spoke about the original DNA becoming available to us now and uh, restoring that original divine blueprint. And just there in the last little while, we spoke about the pyramids and the power systems how it's affecting the earth grid and zero point energy and so on. But throughout all of this today, Leslie, one of the wonderful things that I found from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it was actually good news that we are capable of healing it all. Could you summarize that for us? Am I right in saying that no matter what goes on in the outer 3D world, that we have the capacity of surpassing it and growing and healing it all? I I. I think you you just said that in such a lovely, eloquent way. I I, I couldn't add a thing to it, but I absolutely believe that, um, and it. I believed this before I began my work, uh, because of course I was I was also a psychiatric nurse for some time. But before I began this work as a hypnotherapist, I I am constantly amazed by our ability to heal. It's almost as if once we make the decision to heal, once we make the decision to be whole and to take back our power and to celebrate our divine origins and, and the decision to, to drop hatred and prejudices and negativity, once we consciously decide that, we are completely capable of healing from literally anything. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, we have been blessed by our guest today, Leslie Mitchell-Clark. She can be contacted at lightworkhypnosis. That's all one word, lightworkhypnosis.com. And her telephone number is 416-486-6742. Let us just run through very, very quickly our announcements that tomorrow morning, do please join us on the Akashic Records online group find out more information about that at worldofempowerment.com. Uh, Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, is at, at timeofchange.info. Her new book, which is out in November, can be pre-ordered at thenatureofreality.info. And every Wednesday, we have a physical meeting of the Group Akashic Records in San Diego. But everybody from all over the world, remember to join in on Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific time, at worldofempowerment.com. We are blessed and thank you so much, Leslie Mitchell-Clark, for being with us. 
We will see you tomorrow morning. And thank you again for listening to Angel Rose and Hanu on the Honest to God series. Hi, and love thank, you thank you both. Thank you both for your blessed work. And it's been such a total joy to chat with you. And I, and I look forward to our next chat. And uh, both of you uh, travel with light and love. And thank you for the amazing work you do. Thank you. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. The Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.